There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They're warm, breathable, silent, and odor-resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, All of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com. This is the Meat Eater Podcast. We're in Paducah, Kentucky. How far out of Paducah? Oh, about uh, six miles. Okay. We're at the homestead of the gentleman who just clarified our distance from Paducah, Kevin Murphy. Um, Lives here not far from what rivers down there? The Clarks River. There's so many rivers around here you can't keep them all straight. Lives down from the Clarks River. He's got horses. 16 hunting dogs a garage that in my that that i gave an organization grade of i believe a d plus you're very generous steve d plus he would have gotten an f but it was at least still standing in there um the dogs kevin owns are small game dogs and we just spent three or four we just spent four days in and around western kentucky hunting for uh a a variety of small game with dogs we hunted squirrels we hunted eastern cottontails and today for the first time ever in my life we hunted swamp rabbits which is the largest of the cottontail family, and they are giants. Five pounders? Uh, all the rabbits today, there's no doubt they would average over five pounds. And you've weighed a lot of them. Last year, we weighed 
12 rabbits at the same location, and they all averaged above 5 pounds. The smallest one was 4.5. The larger one topped just a little bit above 6 pounds with a digital turkey scale. So it wasn't a bathroom scale. It wasn't, you know, tabletop. It was a digital turkey scale. You know, my old man always would say that uh, that he weighed. Yanni, are we boring you? No, not at all. I'm very interested in this book, though. I thought it might come into play later in the oh. podcast. That's all. I'm just doing a little research. Okay, good. I was curious why you're reading the book during the thing. Kevin, uh, what? I want to talk about squirrels first because that's what we came down here for. Years ago, I was at I was in St. Louis. We were trying to think of it tonight when we were eating dinner, probably three years ago. It would be three and a half. It'd be four years this coming April. I'm pretty sure. I was in St. Louis at the, I was doing a booth appearance um, at the NRA convention. And I think I was there, I think I was there for the network, I think, Sportsman Channel. And I got to talk. And, you know, when you're doing that, like, I meet all kinds of cool people and we talk a lot about stuff. But, but Kevin, we met and got to talking about squirrels. And I just sensed a tremendous amount of passion for squirrel hunting and not only that but i could tell that you have a that you have a very uh almost scientific approach to squirrels i'm used to seeing that level of detail and appreciation for the history and the management and what's going on seasonally i'm used to seeing it with turkey guys i'm used to seeing it with deer guys elk guys you get like sheep fanatics but you seldom meet someone who is a lifetime student of small game there's a few of us around there's there's a brotherhood of us but they're very few yeah very well here there's a ton of them there's a lot of local boys that uh, you know we like our dogs and guns and horses and being outside and whether it's squirrel, you know, any kind of small game, but the squirrel, we've kind of some squirrel fanatics here. But what was interesting, we were talking about all this. So you were born and raised here. Yes, just right or, up the road. In the vicinity. Yes. And what was interesting is, is you said it's cold times to me over the last days we've been hanging out hunting together. There was no option but to hunt. Like when you were a kid, there was no option but to hunt small game. That, that was it. That was what we, you know, you joined us. You couldn't wait till you got your first, you know, BB gun. Started with a BB gun, and you were after, you know, the barn rats, the sparrows, you know, everything. Nothing was pretty much off limit when you were a kid there. Yeah, and you go you go from BB gun to twenty two, and the rites of passage was to go out and take a twenty two or a shotgun on your first squirrel hunt and get your first squirrel. You know, that was the the first level of hunting there where you take something with the farm was pretty much a squirrel. Uh, traditionally in Kentucky. Uh, squirrel season comes in the third Saturday in August, and everybody hit the squirrel woods, and then they. The, the, it was mainly mostly steel hunters, and uh, still hunting. Yeah, still hunting. Not, not, not hound hunting. Not hunt, hound hunting. hunting there. Not hound hunting. And uh, I can remember I was probably eight, nine, ten years old. My dad was a big bird hunter. Um, even back then, the birds were getting just a little bit thinner. And uh, he decided that he had a cousin that he'd squirrel hunted all the time with when he was a kid growing up. And he took a German 8-millimeter Mauser. I think he gave about like $20, $30, $40 for it back then and traded it to his cousin for a crossed-up hound squirrel dog. And so that pretty much started my career. What kind of squirrel dog? It was a, a hound type. It would bark on track. 
and go around as, as some kind of crossed up hound. You know, it didn't have any distinguishing marks about it, just an old red brown looking hound. You know, I'm, I'm trying to remember from 50 years ago, there's not any pictures of it. Her name was Lady. And uh, we would go out hunting. My dad would be the rifleman, and for some reason, he had me to be the shotgun with a little H and R twenty gauge full choke that shot like a rifle. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and that's where I started my career. And like I said, I've never never looked back, and, and met people all over uh, the southeast, uh, lifelong friends that uh, you know, twenty five, thirty years I've been been hunting with. And yeah, and w- w- at the time there was no deer, no turkeys. There was or no, not like really huntable numbers. You're 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 correct. You know, small game was king. You know, people rabbit hunting. We did have quail in, in huntable numbers, and uh, and and squirrels. And that's what that's what we all pretty much much hunted around here. What's interesting about that is you know we've met so many people this week through Kevin that and, and especially Danny whose property we hunted on today. You know, he was probably the third person this week that I talked to personally that said, I can remember when I saw my first deer. Really? You know what I mean? And that's, Kevin said he remembers seeing his first turkey track. Yeah. I can take you to the spot in the road right now where I saw my first turkey track. Yeah. And that's like a generational thing that, you know, people that we, our peers, like we all just grew up with that stuff, really. Yeah. Deer, turkeys, big game hunting opportunities. Yeah. Oh, but you think about it, like being born in Michigan. There, like I grew up, guys. You could hunt deer. There was turkey around us, but not a meat. Now it's great turkey hunting. Like after I moved away and left home, my dad started killing turkeys in a mile or two of the, our house every year. Yeah, you could hunt bears to the north of us. You could put in for an elk tag to the north of us, all in that state. Now, had you rolled the clock back? 50, 60, 70 years, it was a very different picture. Yeah. But then my old man, they used to hunt small game all the time. They were real serious about hunting cottontail rabbits. It, but it's just different. But, you know, you mentioned that thing like you having a 22-year-old man having a shotgun. I want to talk about that, like you're taking no prisoner's approach to squirrel hunting. Right. When you go out with, with a dog, you know, some somebody in the party needs to take a shotgun, you know. Uh we try to kill the majority of them with the rifles, but if we have one that's timbering there, you know, we're going to shoot. We're not going to go up there. I'm, you know, very rarely will I let anybody shoot a sitting squirrel with a shotgun. I mean, you're going, that's not, when, when you've got a 22 rifle, I mean, if, if that's the only means that you have to take it, then, then that's good to do it that way. But there's no sense to it. You know, we get into to utilizing that game meat. We don't want, you know, a squirrel shot up with a shotgun. They're, they're, as I showed you guys, the the tail cleaning method of cleaning a squirrel. If you've got a nice headshot squirrel, it comes right out, and the meat is just pristine. Oh, it's beautiful, man. And uh, yeah, and, and and I'll point out, Kevin's like super serious about small game cookery, and you've eaten, I mean, thousands of squirrels. Yes, yes. What when I got when I got into squirrel hunting, and squirrel hunting was a big deal for us. It was in Michigan, September fifteenth, opening day of squirrel season. So later, and you guys got started, and. We got on to, me and my brothers, we got on to shotguns because we wanted to go out and get a bunch of stuff. And when you're hunting, like I always divide squirrel hunting into leaves on, leaves off. Leaves on squirrel hunting when the deciduous trees are still carrying their leaves. It's it's a listening game as much as anything where you're out and you just hear them up in the treetops. 
and we get under them. And a lot of times, like, you can't see them and they can't see you quite as good. You get under them and you get them moving through the treetops and we blast them with shotguns. And they get full of pellets. Sometimes pretty bad, depending. Um, you know, and our dad, he would never would shoot squirrels with a shotgun. You know, I remember he would do, use a twenty-two, and he insisted, like, twenty-two to the head because of the meat damage thing. And he hated picking shot. He didn't like the way the shot carried fur into the meat. Right. All that junk. A good trick for that, just if you're listening, if you do shoot something, birds, whatever, small game, and you get where the pellet carries fur into the meat, or feathers into the meat. Take a, you ever do that? Take a toothpick. No, I never used. Never Man, used you toothpick. take a toothpick and poke it into the hole and twist it. All the fur, all the feathers collect around that toothpick, and you pull it out. It's just clean. clean. Yeah, I remember that. It'll look dark, like because the meat on you know light meat on rabbits and squirrels. It'll look dark, and you don't realize because that pellet drug a little bit of think fur in there and even if it passes through like if the pellet passes through it'll leave all that fur and feather in there but you take a toothpick stick it there and twirl it pulls right out yeah it's slick it's slick but anyhow i now i, I think you said the same thing i would rather have one squirrel shot to the head of the 22 than three squirrels that got shotgunned oh yes because it's so clean and nice that way you know I agree with you 100%. You know, you don't have to struggle when you're, you know, using the tail tail cleaning method. You can clean that that one squirrel just in a flash, be done with it. Or if it's shotgun there, you, it'll pull in two sometimes. You got the gut squirting out of the thing. Yeah. And it just, it's just, you know, it just doesn't look that good when you get done with it thing there. You no, got to go yeah, ex- extra prep time. Beautiful when it's otherwise. So uh, how, how does, like, it, it Put it to me in, in, from from however you'd like to discuss it. How does squirrel hunting with dogs differ? I can see that it's way more effective than still hunting for squirrels. But just explain the process of, of squirrel hunting with dogs, what kind of dogs, what the dog's responsibilities are, kind of how you trained up your dogs and what you expect from your dogs when you're hunting squirrels. Okay. Um, you know, any kind of dog can make a squirrel dog. And, and, and people say, well, I've got a squirrel dog. But a, a squirrel dog to me is a dog that can use his nose, his ears, his eyes to tree a squirrel. There's a lot of dogs out there that can only just use their eyes. They have to see it before they bark at it and tree it. Or they have to hear it and then see it before it's there. Or then some of them, maybe the hound variety, can only use their smell to go in there. But if you've got a top-notch, what I classify as a squirrel dog, you know, there's dogs that can tree, tree squirrels, and you can kill a squirrel with it, and then there's squirrel dogs. And a squirrel dog has these three. It has scenting ability, hearing ability, and visual location there. Those yeah, let, three let things. You real quick. I'll probably interrupt you a whole bunch, so I'm not going to apologize every time. But when he's saying hearing, squirrels bark. Yes. So th- there's that noise they'll make. Like they'll make like a, you know. But then what he's mainly talking about hearing is nails on bark. Nails on bark, scuffling through the uh, the leaves. That's a sure sign giveaway that some of them can hear that from a long ways. Yeah. So not so they're not necessarily waiting to hear him do a squirrel noise, but he'll just decipher the sound of one right, running up right, a tree, right. the sound of one going through the woods. Yeah. yeah. And and he'll bay that noise or 
you know, and it may be something else running through the through the leaves or something. But he goes down there, and a good squirrel dog goes in there and said, "Well, this was a maybe a deer running through the through the woods or something, or or some other off game, whatever." There, then he'll he'll come back. Come and back your dog, right your dog don't run deer. You know, my terminology of running a deer is when they hit a deer and they run off and they don't come back for an hour or two. Occasionally. You know, we will bounce a deer there. Maybe we got some young dogs, whatever, but predominantly we have no, I have no trouble with, with, with our dogs running a deer whatsoever. You know, just to jump away from squirrels for me, I'll tell you something I saw today. When we were running swamp rabbits, not with your squirrel dogs, but with your rabbit beagles, I saw those dogs trail into a thicket on a rabbit's trail, trail into a thicket. A bunch of deer went bounding out the other direction, and I thought for sure all those dogs would go off in that direction too, but they didn't. They didn't care. They stayed right on and came out the other side of the thicket, still on the rabbit's trail. We have couldn't some, have cared less. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, the elect the e collar. You know, some people may refer to as a shot collar. You know, that is a, the, one of the main tools of training dogs. And most of them now have electronic buzzer. And all you have to do is shock your dog one or two times. When you shock it, they hear the buzzer also. Then after that, pretty much, they hear you can, they've got a tone button on there that you can use. And once you tone those dogs a couple of times, you know, they realize that they're not supposed to be running, running the deers. You know, you may shock them once or twice and then have to tone them. And after that, we pretty much don't have to. Now, if we bring a young dog into the pack, something that's around a year old, less than two years old, year and a half, somewhere like that, sometimes we have just a little bit of difficulty with them. But with the e-collars, we take care of that real quick. And if you don't, you can lose your whole pack of dogs real quick. Oh, it's in the dog's own best interest, man. I don't think, like, I never understand being apologetic about something like that. A good way for a dog to get killed is to go chasing deer. Yes, yes. Because the deer's going to keep going in a straight line. He's going to go out in roads. And a lot of guys, they see a deer, they see a dog running deer. The first impulse is to shoot the dog because yeah. they think it's a feral dog. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's just like a dog, dogs that run deer have less chance of getting old. That's correct. A lot less of a chance of getting old than a dog wearing a shot collar. You know what I mean? So continue on about all that then. So, like I said, you've got two types of dogs, a dog that can tree a squirrel and a squirrel dog. Um, you know, the best thing to do when you get a young dog, it could be, you know, try, if you're going to go out shopping for a squirrel dog, you know, look at the guy that's got it, look at his parents, grandparents, if they're around, whatever, you know, take that, said, I want to go out with these dogs. You try to get some type of dog that's got a, you know, a good history of being bred to be a squirrel dog you know there to me there's two categories of of, of squirrel dogs maybe you could say three there if, if you really want to get into the hound right there but you've got the fast dog which is bobby Django. he's a small dog what's the word you're saying fast f-i-e-s-t and um you know that to me that's a dog that's usually under 30 pounds there's an organization called the american tree and fast association and they have um rules and standards for dogs yeah. uh fast and it's usually like a, a i think a male now can be weight 30 to 28 pounds don't you know they're about have to have to look at the regs and then can be so tall at the shoulders well that's where bobby Django is there and uh they're supposed to be dogs that uh, you know have those abilities scenting hearing and um um using their eyes 
And he, then you have a cur dog, which is like Butchie Badto, which he's a cur that's mixed in with a pointer bird dog. And we like to do that to give the dog. He's dogs, a cur because he's a little bigger. He's a little bigger. Cur dog's usually above 30 pounds. How'd Butchie Badto lose his toe? You know, he he was that way when I got him as a puppy. When I picked him out, Butchie Badtoe was supposed to be a Barbie Badtoe, supposed to be a girl dog. Uh, I was getting ready to go on a fishing trip to uh, Ontario to fish for some walleye, and I was at a friend of mine's house, and he had this brown and white dog, looked like a clone to, to Butchie there, running around his yard. I said, man, I really like that dog. He said, well, says so-and-so's got some more of them, said he can probably get you one. Says, I said, what do you think he'd let me... Uh, keep it for two to three weeks until i get back from canada he said i don't know let's just call him up i said i'd like to get a female because if you have a female you can breed her to most anybody's stud dog if you have a male dog people are real hesitant about taking your male dog and breeding yeah. it to their yeah, field I imagine, so yeah. that's yeah. where i you know i was wanting to get people some... feel like that about their kids too. <laughs> yes <laughs> but uh um i went over there and picked out a dog and and for some reason i thought she, he was a female and i get him home and after like two or three days and i'm fooling with him out in the yard all of a sudden i was hey i got a male dog there so you but never even thought to check because the guy <laughs> handed you a female yeah so you know and like i said he just all of a sudden i looked and he had looked like he had a toe that was hung up in a gate or something and never has given him any problems so he just got the butchy bad toe instead name. of barbie bad toe <clears throat> instead of barbie bad toe but uh he's got a real sense of of uh using his nose as you saw the other day this a lot of the squirrels they treed had been there probably an hour or two before around the den trees lots lots of heavy scent there and uh um or um bobby jango didn't tree that many that day there he came in after butchie had him treed and treed with him you know he supported him there but like i said the cur dogs usually use their more more of their nose uh, then, then a feist, and then you go into the hounds, and some sometimes people take blue tick hounds or or red ticks or whatever, and, and try to train them on squirrels or get them started on squirrels first. But like I said, what they'll do, they'll hit a track and they'll start barking immediately, and then they'll run that track to the tree where a feist or a cur dog predominantly they do not bark any on track. They might bark on a hot track or after, when they're chasing after a squirrel. Running, you know, they got him sight chasing him. They're barking, yipping it at that time. But when a hound hits a track, as you've probably seen with bear dogs and and lion dogs and stuff, you know, they're barking all the time yeah, when, yeah. when they run the track. When, you, when we didn't, we haven't seen any of that uh, with you the squirrel. So you dog. don't like your dog to bark till he's like, "Here's the tree. There's that's, a squirrel in this tree." Yes, that's what the squirrel dog needs to do. Is there's no need because all he's doing is giving that squirrel. If he's barking on the way to the tree, that's giving him warning, saying, "Hey, he's not here yet. Now's my time to escape." If the squirrel dog runs in there and trees a squirrel, especially younger juvenile squirrels, they'll freeze up a lot of times. They'll just stay, you know, stay there, and they wait, you know, they'll keep it treed till you get there. Where if he's barking on a track, that gives a squirrel warning time to get out and say, hey, something is coming my way. Let's let's leave here. Yep. Now, I'll point out when, when like most of squirrel hunting, well, I'll sit for squirrels, and I'll still hunt for squirrels. But what I generally do is a combination of the two. So the way I would go out with a non-dog hunter would go out for squirrels is like on a perfect day when everything gets planned out right, I would go out just before light. Because the squirrels don't move. Like you'll see deer before you see squirrels in the morning. Like deer will be active 
before squirrels. But a lot of times squirrels will be, it'll still be kind of gray, you know, and you'll see squirrels coming around. But I'll go out in the woods, and the first thing I like to do is just go sit somewhere. Just pick a great spot, sit, give it 15, 20 minutes. Am I seeing anything around? If I'm not, um, I might move a little ways. It might be 20 yards, might be 100 yards, 200 yards, kind of sit and watch again, move real slow, just trying to keep my movement still, and just hunt like that. If I see a squirrel close, but he's just out of range, I'll sometimes wait or I'll wait for a good opportunity to sneak up and get him. But it's quiet. You know, you don't talk and stuff like that. But hunting squirrels with the dogs, it's like, it's just like walking through the woods with your buddies. Oh, it's just uh, a lot of camaraderie that can go on. You can tell stories, talk, whatever. You can you, yell. Yeah, pretty blow much. Blow horns. Yeah, blow horns. You know, the only time that, that you might need to be be quiet just a little bit is when you're in there the tree and getting ready to shoot and you've seen how the squirrels move around yeah. and somebody's talking you're over there getting ready to get a shot and then somebody talks right there all of a sudden the squirrel i've got this perfect shot now he's moved over here and um like i said slight movement here and whatever there though that's the only time you have to be quiet is when you're getting ready to put the put the kill shot on it pretty much other so the, than that. Other, the other day we went out we met up at this cool area near here laying between lakes was what's the Tennessee and Cumberland River, right? Tennessee and Cumberland River. So there used to be a big isthmus between the Tennessee and Cumberland Rivers. People called it land between the rivers, like a big, what's about 170,000 acre block where the two rivers come within how many miles of each other? I'm just guessing across there five miles or not yeah. even, not even, maybe not even that far. So you got two big-ass rivers that flow into the Ohio, and at the time they're flowing north parallel, and they got this chunk of land, and people, folks used to call it land between the rivers. Or between or between the rivers, they shortened. Oh, you know, but, but both, both ways. Between see, the but, rivers. Yeah, between the rivers or land between the li- rivers. And then for reasons of flood control and hydroelectricity and otherwise just like our great fervor to build a lot of dams in the in the mid 1900s they dammed up first uh, the tennessee river first the tennessee after the 30s we had a a tremendous flood here in 1937 uh, i talked to some of the old timers they said they could remember seeing whole houses floating down the river I forgot it. It rained for like twenty eight days in a row, or something. Here, a lot of and death, it devastated a lot of destruction, very much, very much. Um, like unidentified. I was reading this book you had. This like unidentified children that were never identified, found in back eddies, and just devastation. Yes, yes. They dammed the river, and yeah. So flood control is a big part of it. Inspired by that, by that flood, then they dammed the other river, and it became instead of land between the lakes. Or land between the rivers, land between the lakes, because these are two impoundments. And both these rivers are impounded before they flow into the Ohio, which, of course, goes on to flow into the Mississippi, down to the Gulf of Mexico. Um, they had this big chunk of land. And then the federal government started a, a, a long and, and sometimes contentious process, I gather, of buying out people in this the area yeah they are the residents of the residents there was far it was very sparsely populated but still people there many people sold out willingly were glad to go to areas that offered more opportunity different kind of jobs better land some people were 
very much in love with where they live and didn't want to move. But as it went, it was turned into a wonderful 170,000 acre, right? Yes. National recreation area administered by National Forest. Um, that's one of the biggest contiguous chunks of public land anywhere in this region. Wide open. 300 miles of shoreline. 300 miles of shoreline on major rivers and reservoirs. I mean, it's just like a gem. I'd always heard about the place, but I'd, I'd never visited. But it's kind of amazing. I mean, it's just this giant block of land that you just would take a lifetime to, to, to see it all thoroughly. And you've done that. 50 years of it. So we went out here to hunt squirrels. Access is easy. You know, there's a lot of good access, a lot of good roles, but there's a lot of nice big chunks of woods that don't have a road running into them. But you, it, it's it's a really well-run spot and well-thought-out spot. But we went out, parked trucks, like kind of drove down a paved road, turned onto a dirt road, drove down the dirt road, pulled off, cut the dogs loose. It was a foggy, no, heavily overcast gray day. Cut the dogs loose, and uh, we were hunting... You wanted to hunt more thicker stuff. Yes. Yeah, explain that thinking a little bit. <clears throat> two two reasons. Um, one, our mass, we had a mass failure this year. It takes about 50 pounds per acre of mass to ride uh, the wildlife through the wintertime, and, and we were way below that this year with a bumper crop of squirrels. So what that meant was they were going to eat everything up in the woods, and when it gets wintertime, they're not going to have anything, no mass to eat. So Explain squirrels. mass just because I think. Mast is uh, the acorns uh, mainly out there. I don't think they figure the hickory nuts in it at, at all. We had a we had a very limited amount of hickory nuts. To give you an example, here at my house on uh, 14 acres, I've got uh, four pecan trees, a front yard, uh, several uh, hickory trees um, produce nuts. Um, um, they ripen early, uh, first of June, uh, August, traditionally when the squirrel season comes in. The squirrels came in, they wiped the, the hickory nuts out. Uh, the first, the next thing they attacked was my pecan trees. They cleaned those, and, and we didn't have that strong a crop of them due to we had a, two severe winters back to back. And uh, my fruit fruit trees, I've got the blueberries, uh, blackberries. Um, it, it killed the blackberry vines all the way back down to the roots. And I had very limited, the, the year before last, I picked 14 gallons of, of blackberries. I was lucky to get two gallons this year. So this is so a real bad year. It, for real production. bad, real bad year for production of, of fruits and nuts for the, this season. Um, things that limited nut production, uh, in the springtime, a late frost. Uh, can can kill uh, the 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 buds uh, of the trees there that produce the acorns. Um, red oaks produce acorns every two years. White oaks produce acorns every year. So, and and you know not all the trees are lined up in cycle. That doesn't mean that you know you go two years and don't have any yeah. any acorns. They're all different sinks there. But it takes two years to produce a red oak acorn. One year to produce a white oak acorn. Um, Getting back to where I was, the, they ate the hickory, hickories first, they ate the pecans, they hit the acorns, and after they hit the acorns, they went into, there's a little pine thicket as you come down my drive, they started eating the pine cones. So 
you know, they wiped out that food source here before the 1st of November. So they've got nothing to eat. And I was just talking to, to Jody, the, the squirrel hunter that, that went with us today. He said, you know, earlier, says, you know, we had all kinds of squirrels at the house. We got none now. He said, my neighbor right down the road killed 25 squirrels out of his pear trees. So, you know, oh, really? they were out raiding other, all the sources there. So, you know, in the woods now, there's not any feed. So they're going to the, to the thickets to get whatever weed seed, mushrooms might be growing there, digging around for grubs. You know, squirrel take advantage of about any kind of food source that's out there. Yeah. So rather than hunting, like that, that was the thing I learned. Cause if I was going out to look for, uh, squirrels, I, I wouldn't be paying, like, I wouldn't, until now, I wouldn't think about where those trees were in production. My assumption would just be like, oh, go into the big oaks, because of course there's acorns. But walking around, we didn't see shit for acorns. You didn't see, if you'll remember, Steve, anywhere where you saw turkey scratching or the deer in there, we hit squirrels. Because yeah. it was still just a little bit of feed. You know, some of the trees did make some 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 nut acorns. But uh, but the big the big part of the forest there's there's just not you know we saw one or two little logs there with a another sh- sure sign that we have squirrels in the vicinity is they'll pack acorns up to logs and and eat them there and you'll see the hulls from the acorns we saw very very little yeah. little of that another good point you had about hunting thickets there's a lot of uh, vines in those thickets and as you get on and on in the year you get fewer and fewer squirrels yes. Like squirrels have, they don't have a friend in the world. Like everybody's out trying to kill them and eat them. You get fewer and fewer squirrels, and you're kind of now getting into the part of the year up until early spring, like when they're going to have more, where you got the diehards right now are the ones left in the woods. Yes. And there's more security in those areas where you have some thickets and vines where they can get in there and, and have protection from avian predators, have protection from coyotes, all the other stuff that's trying to kill them. Yes, it's it's dual purpose. There's a little bit of feed in there and plus protection. They're, they feel protected. You know, they're out in the big woods, and they're pretty much open prey for, for anything. They can the, – the prey can see them from long distance, can stalk them that way. Like I said, if they're in the thickets and stuff, you know, they were kind of little ravines and hidden there, not yep. great big places. So, you know, they had some pretty tight quarters. So it would be hard for, you know, the predators to get in there to see them from, from a distance. And like you said, the birds of prey, the owls, uh, the hawks and stuff have a little bit more difficulty in those those areas than the open forest. Yeah, and we got out and we started hunting up a, what I would call drainage, like just small drainages. Yes. You guys call hollows. Hollows, yeah, that's a local local term. But I always heard that I never knew what the hell it meant. I thought they somehow meant like a... I don't know what, I, like a little low pond area, because like it, like a hollow. I think of like a bowl depression, but you guys call a creek bottom a hollow. Hollow. Yes. Yeah. I mean, what that's just you local. even know what that means? I mean, just that's what you grow up. We're going to go up the hollow here, and I, I don't know where Are you it came from. With the term a coolie. Coolie. Yes, I've heard of that out west. And then yeah. when I was bear hunting down in North Carolina, they called them bays. I said, where's the bay? I don't see any water out there. So we're going to go up to, have you, have you, any of you guys ever heard, the, heard no. that term? Well, that was the first time I've heard it. We're going to go over here and hunt this bay. You know, we call them, like, we had ravines. Ravines? Yeah. I mean, that's, ravines, that's, a, that's, a, that's a Western term, though, isn't it? No, not? no, Michigan it's, it's is Michigan? ravines, but we think of it like a little bit steeper. <coughs> but when I went out west and I discovered coolies, I was coolies? Like, what are you talking about coolies? Yeah. But yeah, coolies, C-O-U-L-E-E-S would be like a, it's a type of, all the different names for drainages if anyone's interested a in draw. Land, a draw a draw a draw 
Yeah. A yep. gut. Callahan calls them guts. Go up that gut. Anyone interested in, in landscape terms, there's a phenomenal book. It, it belongs on your shelf, Kevin, because you're a great collector of books that have, uh, you know. Very dangerous. Arcane information <laughs> in them. Interesting bits of information that no one knows. There's a book called, uh, by it was, it was compiled by Barry Lopez called uh, Home Ground, Homeland. Look that up on your phone, Yanni. I have it at home, Home Ground. Anyways, it's a, it's a glossary. It's a big book. It's a glossary of landscape terminology. But it's all built out of pa- great passages from literature and other stuff where you, and you can look up any term. Like I guarantee you look up a hollow. It'll probably be like Faulkner and other people talking about what a hollow is. Cooley, any landscape term. Arctic, anywhere around the world. Anytime someone's saying to you like hard pan or whatever, you're like, what the hell does that mean? It's in this book. It's a good book. I, I need to get that. Yeah, it would fit right in with your stuff, man. It's beautiful too. You find it? Uh, yeah. Home ground. Hey, everybody. I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it. It is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, watch that video, and in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now, for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now, you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER, and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company. Working knives for working people. 10% off with the code Meat Eater. That's a good deal. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear.
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Well, it's neither here nor there. No, it's the, he, but if you do find it, that'd be great. So uh, pushed up this hollow, and the dogs are doing – we just had one that morning. The first morning, Bobby Django. Yes, yes. Wynn was just... Yeah, I should point out. Wynn was howling. That was another reason we were staying down in the hollow is because the wind was howling. And we're trying to find a place where you can get out of the wind a little bit. Squirrels, they don't like real whipping wind. No. Treetops moving around. You can't tell what's going on. And the dogs are cutting out. Like, how far do they cut out and they loop around like that? Uh, usually, if you just got a single... Uh, a dog out there, Bobby Django, ranges anywhere from like 100, maybe to maximum 200 yards. Unless he, at that 200-yard point, hits a squirrel or something, go further. But usually, he'll go out 100, 200 yards and come back in and, and check on us. Yeah, constantly. Yeah, And you can guide his movements. At first, I thought we just followed the dog through the woods. But the dog, even though he's going all over and covering, you know, many, many, many times more ground than you're covering, he's always working in these circles based off year route. So you're sort of suggesting to the dog what areas we ought to be hunting. Yes, hurting him, hurting him, suggesting whatever. We're 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 sending him in a direction, a general direction that we want to go. And he's cutting giant circles around you all the time, hunting, hunting, hunting. Yeah. And you kind of forget about that. You don't forget about the dog, but he's out, and you can't. Sometimes you can't see him. But all of a sudden, off in the grayness of the morning, you'll all of a sudden hear him going nuts. And I don't mean nuts like squirrel food. I mean nuts like going crazy, barking. Yeah, we call it treeing. Treeing a squirrel. He's, the dog is treeing. And first time it happened, I was incredulous. First time it happened, he runs off, starts going crazy. We kind of half jog, half walk over there, get there. He's standing against the tree, staring up into the tree, and we look up the tree and there's a squirrel. Just, that's it. It's a little more complicated than that because then you got to get the squirrel. And it can be hard to find the squirrel up there. But you you do like what, I, what I, most squirrel hunters do is if you're working in twos, it's great. Because when you approach the squirrel, he's going to get so the tree's between you and him and you might not notice him. Did you find it? Home, home ground. Oh, yeah. Um, the squirrel's going to go on the backside of the tree so you can't see him. But with two guys, one guy holds tight, gets a rest for his rifle, holds tight. The other guy goes around making some noise around the tree. 
the squirrel's going to respond to him by squirting back around to the side of the tree the shooter's on, and that's often the, t- the guy that gets the shot. Or the squirrel's just going to stick to where he was, and you guys circle and circle. I use binoculars to look for him. I notice you don't use binoculars to look for him. You use your rifle scope to look for yeah, him. Right, yeah. yeah. Just one less thing I have to pack. Yeah. Used to. I used to go in and pack lots of gear, maybe a pistol and a, and a little hatchet on the side. I don't do that anymore. You just go in clean. <laughs> just try, to, try to go in as, as light as I possibly can. So you look around and find them. And, he, and these ones we were finding were all up in the top. Yes. Pretty common on a windy day for them to go high for some reason. I don't know if they feel secure up there or what, but I, I've seen it happen lots of times. Lots of times. You know, people are amazed of them doing that because one of the sure easy ways to find a squirrel up there, you know, you see their tail blowing in a wind there yeah. flapping. It's hard for them. And the windy conditions, you know, even though we don't like the wind hunting the wind there, sometimes it is to our benefit because it's very difficult for the squirrels to hide their tail blowing in the wind. But they're not up there like feeding when they get treated by the dog they're going they up got there pushed up there and for pushed. some reason they they want they feel more secure up in the top of the tree yeah i, I don't i, don't, a, I yeah, don't know that a squirrel would be smart to never go into limbs when they get in trouble is when they push up high into a tree into limbs that are thinner than they are yes yes they're silhouetted. You know, you get this silhouette of a squirrel up there. Yeah, it's pretty like easy to pick out. If you were going to do squirrels a favor, you would somehow communicate to them, never hide on a limb smaller than a man's thigh. Because they go up there and they hold still like they're hidden, but you can see them from so far away up on the top of the tree. Now, the squirrel that stays down a little bit and gets in the crotch of a tree, that's a tough squirrel to find. Very, very difficult. Very difficult. Because then you might see the tail, but that doesn't do you any good. I mean, it helps you low key in on the head, but you, you, you can't shoot the tail. But probably, you know, one place that he can hide his tail is in the crotch because he can pull that down in there and it's, it's tucked in, you know, just like, you, you know, V. And there, that tail's not wind's blowing or whatever. It can't probably blow that tail inside that, you know, if it's a pretty good size crotch there and crooked, you know, fork in the tree, can't, tail won't get out and flop around, so. But I've had them hide pretty good on me when it's like a not a or a it's a pretty solid limb, you know, six eight inches in diameter, and the wind's not blowing, and they're laying on top of it, flat as a pancake, flat as a oh, pancake, man, yeah. <laughs> and they uh, get down where you know uh, they're hiding, uh, uh, yeah. And you know what I've just picked up is just like one arm, you know, or leg. I had that. They don't have arms. <laughs> no, yeah, I would say I would say that arms. They do arms and legs. Yeah. I don't know what you got a leg out front leg, but well, I had that. But yeah, look, I, I found you, you I found that on one, one of the ones one this time. I could see two where he's just grabbing around the thing. Yeah. I didn't see him do that like I used to see him do it in Michigan of laying flat on the top of a limb. Fox squirrels are notorious for doing that around here. Gray squirrels, you know, some people call them cat squirrels. They're a little bit more cagier than a than that, but but the. Fox squirrel, first, I have seen them on the river bottoms just trying and not be too too high off the ground. You know, maybe 15, 20 feet off the ground just laying flat on it. You know, you can just see him. He's just trying to get flat as he can on that, on that limb. But you do not see gray squirrels do that much around here. Now, you brought up fox squirrel and gray squirrel. So, th- you know, there's always exceptions to a ton of stuff. So, there's going to be some guy out there listening and he's going to be like, duh, 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 about how what I'm saying is not true. <laughs> but 
for tree squirrels in this country, in North America, tree squirrels in North America, I'm going to give the what I'll call the big four. You have the eastern gray squirrel. That is a, a, a lightish gray squirrel. Now, when you see a black squirrel, you're seeing a color phase of the eastern gray squirrel. In some areas, you go in, and it seems like 75% of the gray squirrels are black. It's typically that grays outnumber blacks. In my mom's yard over my life, I've watched, and man, like all the squirrels seem black now, and then they're gray back and forth. A gray, a gray phase gray squirrel can give birth to a black phase gray squirrel. I have heard, I don't know if it's true, that maybe in some areas it's like maybe about 25% are black face. Does that ring true to you? Well, you know, we don't have any 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 black face down here. Gray squirrels. Is that right? None. None. Okay. When I went to Wellston and Manistee for the first time, and we were driving down the road, and I see something solid, jet black. I think it looks like a mink. Well, I thought it was a uh, maybe a burnover place, like a stump, you know, a stob, small tree just sticking up right there. Then I realized that was my first sighting of a black squirrel. But we do not have any black gray squirrels that I have ever seen in this part of of western kentucky That's i don't think i don't think there's any i don't know how far north you have to go to see that but the manistee was the first place yeah. i had ever well, that, seen that's any. The, that that the southern terminus of that national forest was about a about a mile and a half from where i grew up and yeah grew up with a lot of black faced gray squirrels now continuing on to the big four the fox squirrel doesn't have as big of a range as the gray squirrel but it extends more westward than the eastern gray squirrel both these squirrels are mixed up because they've been introduced to a lot of places accidentally and on purpose so they're in they're like native range is different than where they actually exist when i was going to graduate school out in missoula montana we had squirrels all over town they weren't from there then the western gray squirrel which is a fairly rare squirrel got rare in recent years and now like you know, around puget sound you have eastern gray squirrels way the hell over in Puget Sound. South there, you have native western gray squirrel range. And then finally, you got your pine squirrel or red squirrel, though some people call fox squirrels red squirrels. Pine or red is a little souped up, oftentimes meat-eating, fired-up little squirrel that kind of like almost seems like a has like a weasel's intensity. And they're a northern animal, more northern. For tree squirrels, that's the main thing. Now, you got different phases of stuff here and there, and like down in Florida, they got oh, the monkey squirrel, something like that, a big-ass fox squirrel, different color. Yeah. Um, I think on the fox squirrel, there's like 10 subspecies, and of the gray squirrel, I think there's six. I don't know what's what there, but... Uh, when I was hunting on St. Vincent's Island in the Panhandle of Florida one time, one of the f- funniest things I've ever seen is a gray squirrel in a palm tree. Oh, I yeah. just I just thought that was he was up there and it had a bunch of uh, dead uh, palm fr- fronds on it there, and he was up there playing around. And I was saying, I said, you know, there's something about that that just doesn't doesn't look right. For all my years, I've seen them either in a deciduous oak tree or you know deciduous tree of some kind, or possibly a fir tree, whatever. But just to see 
a gray squirrel in a palm tree just yeah, like they, that's a, that's like you know I'm, I'm thinking you know gilligan's islands with a with a squirrel yeah, on it's the enough to make like a squirrel hunter out of jimmy <laughs> buffett man you know what i mean so the hell why was i talking about kinds of squirrels oh you're talking about how fox squirrels like to lay up on top of a branch now you know daniel boone he one time was with a fellow named John Filson. Was an explorer and writer who spent a lot of time hanging around during the, the, the frontier years. He claimed to have been out squirrel hunting with Daniel Boone. And he even specified the year. I think he might have said he was squirrel hunting with Boone and later in Boone's life after the revolutionary war maybe even as late as like eight in the early 1800s was out hunting squirrels with boone and described how boone would find squirrels laid up flat treed squirrels laid up flat against a tree and he would take his rifle a muzzle-loading rifle and rather than hitting a squirrel with a lead ball and you know damaging it severely he would shoot the tree and so that the ball hit the bark right up where the squirrel was plastered, and he would call it barking him. And the, just the jolt from the hit and the bark flying up would stun the squirrel and send it falling to the ground. The problem with Filson's story is historians later put together that the year Filson said he was shooting squirrels with Boone I think he said he saw it happen in Kentucky. Boone never stepped foot in Kentucky that year. So Filson might have been pulling everybody's leg or mixed up when it happened, but he was saying that Boone was a big admirer of squirrel meat, and that's how he hunted squirrels. And when you see a squirrel hiding, it's like laying against that tree. I think of it every time because I always think how that would be an exemplary piece of marksmanship to bark a squirrel like that. It works a lot better to use rimfire cartridges and shoot them in the noggin. Yep, very much. You know, I have seen on several occasions um, where we have shot squirrels in the head with a twenty-two rifle, and it never penetrated them, just put a skid mark on them and come down. Never never penetrate the skull, just kind of ricochet off and, and do that. And I've, kill them. And kill them. Or put them unconscious, and that's when you, you know, I have heard of people picking them up, put them in their game pouch, and then come back to life and be crawling around oh, in there. Right? Yeah. yeah. So you know, if we ever do that, skin one across the head there, then we, you know we'll wipe them on a on a tree there and make sure that they are dead. But I have seen that on on several occasions. It's just hit hit a squirrel with a twenty two, just you know, burn his hair, but never break the skin, never be any sign of blood. I only matter and stun them and be down there. Yeah, now, you know, not trying to do that. It just, it just happened that, that happened way. that way. What uh, have you ever like? You, you've never called squirrels. You never used. Never had tried a squirrel call whatsoever. I'm the type of individual I cannot sit still, pretty much. So I, I've got to be pretty much on the move. I have done some predator calling and stuff. I could probably do the squirrel calling around, but I've never, never squirrel called. Well, when you squirrel call, you're not really trying to bring the squirrel to you. You're just trying to get one to light up, to bark. Bark. To locate. Yeah. Yeah. Or locator. to pause him. To pause him. Okay. You know, like you'll see one or you'll see one bouncing around and you can't get a shot at him. 
or any number of things, and you do that, and he'll squirt up a tree and position himself trying to figure out what's going on, or he'll start barking too, and he'll go from kind of running to he'll hear like what it sounds like his buddy doing a warning cry, and then he'll get up and want to join in and chatter too, and it'll just put him up in a spot where you can get a crack at him. So it's not like you're sitting there calling turkeys. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't think anybody really uses it. I hear now and then of guys will do a, distru- a, 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 a very loud distress call with a turkey or with a squirrel call, almost like where you're blowing a predator call noise and then shaking the call to get like that, that really fast pissed off call. And they're saying early in the year, when there's a lot of young squirrels around, sometimes I've never seen it happen personally, but people say sometimes you get it where you're just bringing squirrels down the tree, coming down aggressively trying to figure out what's going on. But you sure don't need to call squirrels to get the dogs. Right, right, right. You just need a good set of eyes. How do you, how do you train up a squirrel dog? Well, because I'm guessing you don't do like what bird guys do of, you know, going out and buying pen raised birds and getting them all dizzy and setting them out in the field like you're not doing that with squirrels we do something similar you know when, when they're pups one of the, the the first things we may do is uh, uh put a squirrel tail on a like a cane fishing pole on a line and get him used to that and trailing around put it up get a squirrel dog to bark that's one of the biggest challenges a lot of dogs will run squirrels up the tree track them up right there but when they get there they just look up they won't they won't bark and that does you no good i mean if he's 200 yards away we're you know where is he unless you've got a gps tracking collar on him and and you know who wants a silent tree dog but uh, get a get a squirrel tail and get them to bark you know what we call it on a hang up you know we'll hang it up somewhere or we might pick a whole squirrel off the road up something that somebody's run over in a car drag it around hang it up put it in a bush a lot of times what i like to do and have done before is put it in a bush, maybe tie a piece of string to that bush or small tree, and then get back and shake it, act like it's got some movement, get that dog fired up. You start there. Uh, then the next next thing, you may go and trap a nuisance squirrel that maybe that's raiding somebody's bird feeder or they need to get to his fruit crop or whatever and to get rid of it and bring it, show it to the dogs, let it loose, let it run up a small tree where the dog can see it there, and that gets them fired up and gets them started. Now, don't ever do that more than one or two times because after that, it seems like the dogs, you don't gain anything. Either he's going to do it that first or second time. If you do it the third or fourth, it's kind of like, you you know, we were had the discussion over shooting pin-raised birds. Yeah. Once once you get a dog, in, in my opinion, in a pin-raised bird, if you really want a true wild bird dog, if you do that more than one or two times, you're going to get that dog dependent on the, the, the dizzy highly scented birds that come out of these coop situations there where they've got all kinds of unlimited scent on them that a natural bird probably does not have. This is just kind of my personal yeah, no, opinion. Thinking. You know, it's like he's living I never in this, thought about it like he, that. He's living definitely... in this, this chicken coop with all this bird excrement on the floor there. You know, a wild bird doesn't, you know, doesn't live that way. A, a quail will, you know, roost at night leave a quick you know louis droppings right there then they go on they do not live in it day in and day out like yeah i've no i never thought about in that way like how much smell they got on but i have noticed that um dogs get like dogs that do that just can't cope with reality they, they can like they can't cope with what real they crowd real birds you know they think they can get a lot closer to yes. real birds than they can 
like a rough grouse in the Midwest don't hang out. For you can't, you're not going to get up and point it from six feet away. No, no, no. Same same way in Upper Peninsula in Maine or whatever. You cannot get in there and get close to a grouse. And then the, just and you just, run pointer. I want to point out. Yeah, yeah. point out. That you run pointers too. I've got a setter right now. I used to have a, a, a German wire-haired pointer, but uh, we just had a recent trip back in October up up to Maine. Uh, several of us went up there. There's one guy, real good hunter there, and he had some some dogs he'd killed thousands upon thousands of quail in a pen. He took them up there. They were totally worthless. He put them up. But he thought that he, you know, because those dogs, you could go out there, turn them loose at that 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 quail farm right there, and they point, lock up, hold, you know, you go around them right there. But they didn't have a chance up there against in hunting grouse and quails, two different things anyway, too. So yeah. you know, so that was you know, the dogs didn't have a chance to begin with because they're they're definitely two game birds. I know I got a a good friend that I grew up with that always had bird dogs. I tried to get him to go grouse hunting with us, take his bird dogs. When I say bird dogs, Bob White, quail dogs up there. And the first thing out of his mouth was, he said, hey, said them grouse will, will ruin a good quail dog real quick. Why does, he, why does he think that? Because, you know, where a quail will lock up, stay there, grouse, you cannot crowd, and they will not stay. They will run sometime. You have to have that, you have to have that special dog that, that knows that, hey, I can, I can, he, I smelled him right now at ten feet. Now he's at twenty. I can move up another ten, mm-hmm. and then 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 he moves up again. I can move up another ten. That's I'm kind of a novice novice uh, a grouse hunter, but I try to look at what goes on out there and see and try to improve it there. You know, I try to gain as much knowledge as I possibly can. Just like you know, but you guys tear it up up there. Yes. Well, this was our second second year, and you know, and we did. We had a very very successful. One day, I killed three woodcock and and three grouse over a pointing dog, and that's a pretty good accomplishment. Yeah. I was I was trying my best to limit out and get four woodcock and four four grouse over a pointing dog, and that would have been a pretty good lifetime accomplishment. Right there, you got there. three and three. I got three and three, but I'm still as happy as can be. We saw three woodcock yeah. today. Yeah. Oh, you know one thing I want to talk about too with the dogging running dogs for squirrels earlier we were talking about oh you run up and there's a squirrel that happens probably correct me if i'm wrong but just from my perspective from december hunting that happens 25 percent of the time that the squirrel is just sitting up there like oh there he is you know because they got a bad habit of disappearing in the nests and holes. Yes. It's not a given. When I heard that dog bark the first time we ran up and got a squirrel, I'm like, man, we're going to be done doing this in no time. But the other day we had, we showed up and 10 of them treed into den trees. Yes. Yeah. There's no fault of the dogs. Dog did his job. He's like, I could tell you 100% certainty there's a squirrel in this tree. Now, if he went into a hole 20 feet up, that's not my fault. I can tell you he's in this tree. So he's doing his job. Right. But he's got no way of knowing that there's a, two and a half inch diameter hole gnawed into some limb up there and this squirrel is not going to come out of there anytime soon now you know the days vary you know we turn loose you know the first one we treed was in a pine thicket and with all the pine cones up there it was just you know we, we gave it a pretty good look of course 
25 yards away, another dog had a squirrel treed pretty hot and heavy. We thought, well, you know, we give this a quick look over. Everybody looked out there. You know, I couldn't see it. There was a big nest up there. Yeah, there was a nest up there. Now, when I was a kid, we'd start shooting into the nest, thinking that with BB guns and whatnot, we'd shoot into the nest, thinking that, but I mean, you got just a good chance of killing the squirrel and never comes out of the nest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we used to think you'd drive them out of the nest by shooting up into there, but that's pretty silly. Yeah. But on some days, you know, they're on the outside. Here again, I, I, I'm going to go back and I talked to a friend of mine after we had that hunt today to see what he'd been doing up there. And uh, he's been facing some of the same problems. He said, the other day we made 12 den trees before we ever killed a squirrel. And I, I believe due to the low food sources out there, the squirrels are cagey, they're lean and mean, everything's after them out there. And a lot of times when we've got lots of mass, I don't like the first squirrels that we kill or come straight out of the den. They're looking for food. They have nothing in their belly. They can run off, but you give them 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever, they gorge themselves, you know, and you, we, you've cleaned some of the squirrels where their stomach, their pouch yeah. is just pooching out. I think they get lethargic just like a human does. When we go in there and do a buffet, eat everything we've got, well, you know, I'm just going to get up there and get where the guy can't reach me and not have to go no further, you know, you know, and just stay out here. And I I, I truly do believe that. Or you know maybe, what, you maybe, know what stomach contents look like is – uh. My little daughter, she's three. If you give her like cashews and peanuts, she keeps putting them in her mouth, but she doesn't get around to swallowing them. And pretty soon she's walking around and you can tell like she needs some help. And so she'll spit it all on your hand. It looks exactly like a squirrel stomach contest. Yeah, yeah just a yellow, yellow pasty type, yeah, type she deal. She turns right into that, but she can't like. Yeah. Yeah, whenever she it. does that, I'm always like, man, it looks like cleaning squirrels, yeah. man. <laughs> but so they get. And you know, you brought up another thing I thought was interesting. Uh, there's so little food out there that they're probably burning more energy going out looking for limited food reserves, and that's partially keeping them around, maybe not even coming out and not venturing out far because it's just they're just not out right now. They're taking it easy. Things are times are tough. Not a lot of grub. Right. I, I- Going back to the conversation with another fellow squirrel hunter, he said, yes, Kevin, said, you know, pretty soon it's going to be where you go out and hunt an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, and you get what you get. Take your dogs out. I mean, as the season progresses. As the season progresses, because they're going to be, you know, moving less and less and less there. Yeah. As we get in, it's going to get probably a little bit cooler and stuff. You know, right now we've still got ideal conditions. What was it? The the day before y'all got here, 72 degrees. Windy that day, probably got up into the, what, 59, 60 there during that day. Did we get that high on the first day? No, it was cold. Cold, cold that day. Yeah, it was cold. But, you know, we haven't like got it. It was honestly cold, right? Yeah. I had, like, cold fingers. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that the first day we hunted, we killed six. Yes. Saw seven. And then probably had, I don't know, not more than four or five hole up on us. Not, not too many. That's That's probably correct. Another day we went out, we had a bunch of them hole up and nest up. And then, bam, 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 killed three in a row. Yes. Three trees in a row. Well, we had a two-pack and a one. Yeah. And then went on to den up probably 10. Every bit of 10. 
Yeah, every bit of tan. Where that dog is bait up on the tree, and that dog, like, no doubt in his mind that he knows what's up there, but you look and it's plain as day. Yeah. Holes. Holes. You know, I think a couple of them, we saw a few little nut shavings where they'd come out and eat. And like I said, I think they just come out from the dens, piddled around on the ground there a little bit, and come in. One of my buddies, he's got a a pet squirrel. He, that he keeps at, he, at his house there, and, and he'll go out and show puppies that it's up high, and he's got a condominium, squirrel condominium for it, and wire cages like a hamster cage. He can run up and down all over right there, and, and that's another way you can start. A lot of people in the area start dogs that way, just go over and look at him and run around. You know, I took him a whole big, uh, like three gallons of pecans the other day that were left over from my trees from about two years ago that I didn't utilize there. And he says, he says, right now, Kevin said that squirrel, his house is cram packed full of corn and nuts. He said, I've never seen one do like that before. Said it's cram packed up there. Like he packed, he packed it in up there. And, and that's why he, and like I said, our conversation, we don't know. He says, I think a lot of the den trees out there that they've got a bunch of nuts and stuff hoarded up in them. Don't know that. You know, like yeah. I said, that's just, just looking at his pet squirrel that he has that is taking his nuts that he gives them out there. You know, you know, you know, may put a half a gallon at a time right there. And he says, you know, he, the shells are not there. He says, you know, they're in that, they're in that house right there. He's got them packed in there. What gender is that squirrel he's got? It's a it's a gray squirrel. No, male or female? I, you know, I don't know. I do not know. I feel like he ought to put another one in there okay. so they can breed. We might I mean, think about if someone put you in a situation like that. You'd want another, <laughs> you know? Man, he really ought to do that. Uh, I had some big thought about this whole thing. with. Uh, oh, I want to tell you this. We were hunting deer in Wisconsin not long ago, and... All of a sudden, heard just this loud, shrill shriek, and a squirrel going nuts too at the same time. You could hear all this. There's a tree, maybe 18, 20 feet up. There's a crotch in a tree with a cavity. And there's a mink and a squirrel fighting outside the tree, the hole. The mink goes down in the hole, turns around so his head's coming back out of the hole, and he's still fighting the squirrel who's trying to get into the hole. Eventually, the squirrel just says, screw it, and goes off and gets on a limb and starts barking and carrying on. And that mink, it, it, we watched up there on and off for two hours. If he'd have come out, we'd have noticed it. Never came out of that tree. I think he got in there and, and uh, ate all the ate all the young. I'd say, I, that's exactly what I would say happened. Exactly. Yeah. He went in there and ate them. Probably that was the, the, south, high, south that was the highest in my life I've ever seen a mink in a tree. Yeah. yeah. Um, going back to predators in a tree. I guess it was uh back this last year or two years ago. There, I've got some mulberry trees out here. Kentucky used to have what they call the spring mulberry season to hunt squirrels. When the mulberry trees become ripe, they have a spring squirrel. We still have a spring squirrel season there, but I've got some mulberries here at the house, and I could hear a squirrel with that. Given this. The, the shrill shriek sound right there. And I had a young squirrel dog right here. I thought, well, I'll take him down there and kind of show him that something's going on there. Says, I don't know if they're breeding or what, but but, but it's making some kind of, of strange noise. And went down there, and uh, there was a snake that had a squirrel in the top of that, probably 25 feet up in the top of that mulberry, and was wrapped 
around him. Oh, is that right? They put in the constriction to him there. First time in my life I'd ever seen that. Wow. That's cool. It's pretty pretty neat. Pretty neat. I tried to take a little video with my my phone, but it was too far away and couldn't get, get any good, uh, what kind good of snake footage. Was it? it looked like to me uh, probably some type of uh, of um, a rat snake, prairie king snake, something of, of that nature, some kind of constrictor there, some kind of black constrictor there, probably a king snake. Yeah. Hey, everybody. I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith who, over recent months, I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, watch that video, and in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company. Working knives for working people. 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today 
or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. I want to get into hunting the marsh rabbits, swamp rabbits. What kind of dog, like what's your dog for that? Well, I've got a little uh, blue tick beagle um, uh, and also a little tricolored beagle there, you know, um, beagle hound. These swamp rabbits, I've always heard about them, but they live down on the like they're down the low, low lands. Yes. We're hunting around the banks. River of the bottoms. The We're river hunting on the banks of the Mississippi. In the bottoms, it's like some areas of sand, mud, a lot of briars. And these things go down there. And one of the most peculiar things about them is they, uh, one, they're huge. Like you said, five pounds. They have latrine logs where they climb up and defecate on elevated stumps whole bunches of it up there now and then you've heard it might have something to do with the the territory territory is what i've heard before to go out and hunt them it'd be like i don't even know where to begin because my whole life i've hunted rabbits we always just drive rabbits push rabbits so you guys get lined up depending on how thick the cover is, 15 yards, 30 yards apart, and you just push through good rabbit cover, and you get a couple guys posted up on the opposite side, and you squirt the rabbits out, and usually the guys posted up get shots as they come going by. But this you kind of line up, and then you guys send all these packs of beagles in there. And once you kick up a rabbit, the beagles start trailing it, and the rabbit will go on a big loop or multiple loops and keep coming back around because he doesn't want to leave his familiar area. And he keeps coming around. And as you're listening to these things baying around, you eventually try to get where you can head it off. And in the case of the swamp rabbit, the rabbit's out a hundred yards ahead of the dog all the time. Yes. Yeah. So when you see the dogs coming, it might be too late. It, the is, rabbit, it is too late. The rabbit might already be gone. Unless in some occasions you, you get a rabbit that goes out there and just kind of squats down there. But I think I might have saw that a time or two to two today, but the majority but always of them, after I saw it too, but always after they'd already been running it for forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the longest trails I saw today is they pushed the rabbit out four hundred yards from us. It got out of earshot. Yes, yeah. That was curious because you had that GPS collar on that dog, and I was like, listen to it fading, 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 and I was wondering, like, well, how hell, like in this thick cover, how far does a dog's bark travel? And when it faded out of earshot, you held up four fingers to me and said, like, they're 400 yards out. And it was a long time yet. And pretty sure you hear him coming back, coming back, coming back. We eventually killed that rabbit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We had to, we had to push, push up. Right yeah. back into the area. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to yeah, watch that. Yeah, by that, that time, we've kind of, like, almost seemed like we'd – we had to move up. We'd jockey in a position, kind of maybe get like a half moon, half circle. We came up, I think, three times on him there before we, before we got but that rabbit. But he did back. push him back into the area. Yeah. Oh, yes. But yeah. no one got a yeah. crack yeah. at him. Yeah. And then he went back out and started cutting smaller circles. Purples. So we had to like move our – yeah, like imagine he's just going like a big spiral, like a traveling spiral, like a circle that moves around on a page. 
and we're always trying to go up and get, but you got to be quiet. Extremely quiet with a swamp rabbit. Extremely. Because if he hears it, he's just going to avoid you. Yes. Yeah. yeah that, that, they will shortstop. And when I hunted them there last year, I saw that. They would get up there and do those short circles, and there'd be a group of people back. And, and I don't know if you had a chance to notice that if some even someone that whispered, tried to whisper how that sound would carry that far. And uh, uh, I had uh, Chris with me. I says, you know, Jason's coming through the weeds there, but, you know, something crashing through there is, is a natural sound. But the briars and the brush hitting his Cordura chaps was a man-made sound. And mm-hmm. when they hear the man-made sound there, they just go other way. I never will forget that uh, deer hunting one time, or deer shooting. I'm not a deer hunter. I'm a deer shooter. That uh, down at Paul's, climbed up in the tree stand and uh, had some coveralls on. I think I it got hot, and I just didn't have room for them up in the stand. And for some reason, I just threw them down on the ground. Well, I had a little pronghorn buck come up to those coveralls and smell of them there oh, then, yeah? I, then i thought well I'm, i need some meat for the freezer says i'm like the last day of deer season i'm just gonna go ahead and, and shoot him he looks young and timber and as soon as i clicked i mean he smelt of my coveralls but as soon as i clicked that i just for some reason i just did the man click on the safety instead of an easy safety but as soon as that that gun clicked that deer knew that that was not a sound of the woods and ran off. Oh, yeah? And that was one of the neatest things out in the woods, you know. Meanwhile, he's snuggling up to your coveralls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's sitting there sniffing of the coveralls I just had on. That didn't really bother him, but that metallic sound did. I have that conversation all the time with people where I'd be like, okay, everybody hold still. You know, we're going to wear earth tones. We're going to wear camouflage. Everybody's going to hold real still. People are like, oh, yeah, but I was out one time jogging, and I had a red shirt on, and I ran right past the deer. I'm like, that's great. I'm glad that happened to you. But like I said, we're going to wear a camouflage. We're going to hold still because you just don't know. Like, yeah. you don't know what yeah. their deal is. Yeah, yeah that's, that's Every one of them is different, you know. The rabbit thing, I found that my experience doing rabbit drives, and we spent tons of time doing rabbit drives, is one thing is getting a sense of how the rabbit's going to travel and then being cognizant of your shooting lanes, I found beneficial today. Very much, very much. Like you're always, I like you're always jockeying, and you were encouraging me in that direction too. You're always jockeying to be like once the first spot I walked into, you tell me there's no point yeah. in being here. Yeah, there's, you can't see anything. Yeah, yeah. Because you need to see, you ideally, you want to get where you're seeing 40 yards through a little lane so that when the dogs run that thing through, you got a chance to look at it. Because it's not going to be like a long time. You're going to have a narrow, narrow window. You know, and two or three foot of elevation makes a big difference. You know, I actually saw somebody in a deer stand today trying to see what was going on. And that really, and I killed a a rabbit. And I actually killed a cottontail the other day when Jason and I were, were, were hunting there. I got up. 12, uh, 14 feet in the air, saw the rabbit come in there, comes by, you know, and get him there. We're no, everybody else on the ground. And, I, you know, you, you get advantage. And just sometimes a two or three foot standing on a stump, a lot of times will give you a little bit of an edge out there. 
and you want your field of vision out to you know if, if there's a big tree right there in front try to move or maneuver up and get in front of that tree and get a little height advantage there where you can see because if you if you have no if it's all thick cover you have no chance of you know getting a shot seeing what's coming out there yeah. and it doesn't take much to hide those rabbits no 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 you're they, talking in feet not really in yards once they get to that 15 20 foot mark all of a sudden, just like the smallest little bit of briar leaf or something, they yeah. stop, and you're like, where'd he go? Where'd he go? Yeah. I was standing next to two, not going to name any names now, but two guys where I'm like, there's a rabbit coming. There's a rabbit coming. See him? Coming right at you, 12 o'clock. And, I mean, he's just hopping along real slow, but the guys were just weren't picking him up, you know? Yeah, they're but hard. Out of that deer stand, that was interesting because you're right. All of a sudden, I got a little elevation. I could see a rabbit at like 200 yards. And imagine you put down your three middle fingers down uh, on the table. And I'm looking down kind of your middle finger, which is like this thick but small tree, you know, brush kind of cover. And there's two open lanes being your other two outside fingers. And I sent three hunters. One of them kind of is close, hugging your middle finger. And then the, the, the other hunter... The other two hunters are each taking those open lanes and just kind of working towards the main forest out away from me where I saw this rabbit. They work through there. They wait a while. The dogs are doing a circle on another, you know, rabbit somewhere off in the distance. They wait, wait, wait. 10, 15 minutes goes by. No rabbit. They don't kick up the rabbit. They move on out of sight. You know, this is 200 yards away from me. Not 10 minutes later, right down my middle finger coming right at me through that, you know, rough brush here comes a swamp rabbit maybe not the same rabbit but i mean right where these 300s had just walked yeah. through and here he comes just slipping through yeah they're super sneaky it's one of the more you know i've done all kinds of hunting it's one of the more exciting things is when those dogs get on a track and it's not exciting right away because you know it's gonna be a long ass time right. till they bring it back around so when they first take off you can just sit there BSing. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like nothing to get that excited about. But eventually they'll bark way the hell out. They get a couple hundred yards out. You'll kind of hear them come back. Then everybody will be like, okay, we better get serious. And you fan out and you get where you got a little lane, maybe two lanes where you can actually see what's going on down in the swamp. And you hear those dogs coming. You know he's out ahead of them. It is one yeah. of the most yeah. exciting hunting moments there is, man. I had a great time. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I get excited out there, and like you said, you hear a pack of those beagles, and and they go off, and then you look at your GPS, and they're starting to come back, and you know, and then you they get louder as they come, it's louder as they come. Hard louder. not to get a smile on your face. I spent those, a lot of time little, smiling. Those little buggers, I don't call them anything <laughs> cute in this world, but those little buggers have just a smidgen of cuteness, and when they're just coming through there, their tails. Because I asked Jason about this. Because all those tails are bleeding. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I thought, well, man, just dock them. You know? And he said, oh, no. I got to see those tails wagging. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You, like, you get a dozen of those little dogs. They're having the best time. They're having more fun than anybody. Yeah. You get a dozen of those little dogs, and they're just like little like vacuums, man, the noise they make. And they're coming through, and they all got blood coming off the end of their tails. And they are just fired up, having the time of their life. And it's yeah. like nothing's going to escape their notice, man. It's just amazing to watch. I, do, if you, you, know, oh. how, you know how adamant we are to them after we kill the rabbit is to show those dogs that we've got the rabbit because some of them keep going. 
Yep. You know, they just, that's their heart. They just, what they're made to do is to run a rabbit. And if you do not show some of them right there, they keep on looking for that, that rabbit yeah. out there. That was another thing I, I enjoyed quite a bit is they'd run a rabbit. And like I said, the rabbit's 100 yards out ahead of the dogs. You'd shoot the rabbit, go over, pick the rabbit up, talk about the rabbit for a couple minutes. And meanwhile, the whole time, and eventually, they run that rabbit right up to where you're standing. And then they're all like, hey, you got it. You know, and you show them all the rabbit. What was interesting about that is that, you know, speaking of like your squirrel dogs having that sighting ability, those beagles, they don't see that dead rabbit until their nose touches it. Yeah. Do they? No. No. You know, some of them you just kind of got to. Tap them on the Yeah. You know, they're they're so intent on that track. That scent on the ground there, you just got to really get some of them, you know, and say, hey, they're here, you know, wag it and let it smack them in there to get them to do it there. And then after they, they get it, you know, we had a, a couple of them that are pretty intent on getting hold of the, the dead rabbit. You know, sometimes some of them, they don't, after they see it right there, they don't care. They know it's dead there, but yeah. there's, but we got two or three in there that are, you know, they're being there hanging on. You got to watch it or they're going to be stripping all the hide and stuff off the rabbit. You know, another interesting I noticed is you got a dog. Was Butchie Badtoe that when you get a squirrel, Butchie Badtoe likes to eat the head right off the squirrel. He'll, he'll eat it right off. I don't, you know, it's just something that that he does that that he knows that you know twenty two headshot there and and he eats it off and, and usually nine times out of ten he stops right there. You know, and then that's that's all he he wants is the head. How many does he want? He'll may eat five or six of them out there. That's incredible to me. Just chomps the head up, hide and. Everything. Everything. Teeth yeah. and all. Yep. Yep. Chomps it up. He'll just pass it out and it doesn't even he doesn't even make like a weird turn no. when he does it. Nope. What's your what do you like eating the most out of squirrels and rabbits? And like swamp rabbit, regular eastern cottontails, you squirrel. Know, uh, I prefer I, I personally squirrels. Yeah. The squirrel uh, is the most mildest meat out there. You know, they eat the nuts all the time in there. And to me, it is the mildest taste of meat, and I think like we've had the conversation earlier, I don't know anybody that I haven't prepared any for that didn't say, hey, this was really, really good meat. I used to take it to, uh, we had church potluck dinners, take it there. People would, would snarl the nose, finally kind of shame them into not eating some, and then after they ate it, said, hey, it, 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 this is really good. And then the next time we have a meeting or potluck or something, if you didn't bring it, they said, why didn't you fix any squirrel this morning? So, well, I just didn't have time to do that. But I've converted a lot of people that thought squirrel was just a rodent or whatever out there that, that was not fit to eat to. It's a very good source of protein. What What are some of your favorite ways? If you had to rattle off like a half dozen favorite ways to fix squirrel, what would you say? You know, the chicken fried squirrel, uh, baked squirrel in the oven is the easiest way, you know, <clears throat> quarter it up, put it in a, a cooking, uh, pan, put your favorite type of seasoning, whether it's Tony Satchery's, uh, lemon pepper. I made a whole bunch of lemon pepper one time and put a, put a, it was like a, one, you know, one of these great big aluminum pans to, to the, a good old boy function there. And put lemon pepper over it with a few tabs of butter in there, low and slow in the oven, two twenty five for about two to three hours. Kind of de- depends on your oven and in the in the amount of squirrel you have. The meat just falls right off the bone. I mean, you can just suck the meat right off the bone there. That is the easiest way. Uh, squirrel and dumplings. 
That's oh, the one I like. Oh, man. Just to clarify, though, no liquid in that pan. No liquid. Season the raw meat, put some butter in there, cover it with foil, throw it in the oven. Throw it in the oven. You're 225. Done. 225. Three lower, hours. Yeah, three hours there. Maybe four if you kill a bunch of two-year-old bucks. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Lowers. a little bit longer, a little bit less there. Easy, 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 easy. My favorite that you've made, and you made squirrel a bunch of ways for us or last few days, is the the dump, like the dumplings your mom made. Hey. Well, she does them in a squirrel broth. Yes. She, she'll put a... a, a I, I'd taken her several squirrels up there before you guys came and asked her to make me some some squirrel and dumplings, which she's famous for there. She makes a broth with the squirrel meat, takes the squirrels out, picks the meat off the bones, then takes the broth, uh, makes her dumplings, drops her dumplings into the boiling broth that cooks the cooks the dumplings, then dumps the squirrel meat back in there. Oh my god! And it's good, just man. like almost melts in your mouth. No, it's ridiculous. You make squirrel chowder. Squirrel chowder is, a, is another another very very good uh, 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 recipe. Um, a Kentucky burgoo. Burgoo. Uh, another one of my favorites we didn't get to do is a squirrel on a open uh, charcoal, uh, really like a a coal fire over over a grill and yep. keep them basted. Make up a. Uh, a sauce of one gallon vinegar, um, a pound of lard, uh, two sticks of butter, and a can of like Texas Pete or, or glass bottle Texas Pete or or whatever kind of your Uncle Frank's hot sauce. Frank's hot sauce. Mix that out and keep those squirrels basted in that. And, and that's oh, just base them. Yeah, to keep them basted, keep them from drying out. It's a little bit takes a little bit. It's a little bit of time to do that, but you know you're sitting out with your guys, and it's a good good way you know drink a beer or whatever sit out there and cook that and it's that is excellent that is really good i've had good luck grilling squirrel by take the squirrel and cut it in five pieces so you got four legs in the back now these are whole squirrels so that do that away You're grilling whole a whole squirrel a whole squirrel keep them based down big fox squirrel comes out really good that way too is that right? yeah and that's apple cider vinegar not not white vinegar and you're cooking cider. them only till they're done yes yeah yeah as soon as it's done Pull them off. Clear juices. Yeah, eat them. Yep, you can kind of stick a fork in them, and you know when it goes penetrate, you know that they're they're, they're done. I've done where you take a bunch of uh, garlic and thyme leaves and mash it in a mortar and pestle. Just pulp it, then put salt in there, and then olive oil and some lemon. Stir it up, and I marinate the squirrel pieces in there. But I, I got ahead of myself. Before I do that, I take the squirrel and put it on a cutting board all the pieces and take a meat fork like a sharp tine fork and poke it a bunch of times all over so the marinade gets in there better then i marinate that eight hours or overnight then i do them on my grill just to done not like trying to slow cook just grill them on medium heat to done and they just get where they start to char a little bit just like if you're grilling chicken like a little bit of char on there it is very good but you marinate for the night I know a friend, uh, he had an elderly gentleman that's a friend of him, and I don't know where the recipe come from, but he used to like to take a whole squirrel, he said, and um, keep the ribs on it, dress it out, and make a dressing and put it into the cavity and then take a needle and thread and sew it back up. Is that right? I, I need to go probably see him do that sometime, but he just he just went wild over that. But he made some kind of dressing, stuffed squirrel, yeah, stuffed squirrel, and took a took you know the you know took a needle and thread. 
sold it up in that cavity there and baked them in the oven. So that that sounds something that we probably ought to try sometime. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Have like a nice visual appeal. Yanni, including thoughts. If you're not hunting squirrels, you are missing out. Yeah, I think you're stupid. I think you're stupid. <laughs> if you don't hunt squirrels, I think you're messed up in the head. I mean, look, n- not to nothing against Wisconsin whitetail deer hunting, but we took Helen and Brittany out there a couple weeks ago. They had a blast deer hunting. They learned a lot, but they're hooked on squirrel. Two days of squirrel hunting. I mean, they wanted more and more and more and more of it. Yeah, they loved it. It trains you to be a good woodsman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when I met you, you know what what I think one of my my points that I said, I said, you know, I said, you're doing the outdoor shows out there. It says, you know, not very many kids can go out and go on a elk hunt or something out west there. Quite a few can go on deer hunt. But I said, just about every kid can go out his back door and go squirrel hunting with a limited amount of equipment. Yeah, for more months out of the year than you can. Right. Right. And, and that's probably one reason why I'm like a squirrel hunter, cause I can hunt. You know, I hunt a little bit when the leaves are on with my dogs, getting them in shape, training them up. It's pretty difficult. You might get one out of 10, but I'm out there hunting. But then I've got December, January, and February. Got almost 90 days of squirrel hunting, right? In most of the Midwest, well, Montana, there's, you know, you hunt them, there's some places you hunt them year round. Right, right. In most of the Midwest, you start hunting them in September. You can hunt them September, October, November. December, January, often February. Some states have a early season, and then they open the thing up for six months later on. And then, like we said yesterday, you can tie it into whatever. If you're a big game hunter, uh, uh, bear, deer, whatever's out there, you can see what's going on with those guys out yeah, there that many, time of year. How many buck scrapes did we find, man? Uh, I, I lost track probably uh, at 30. How many scrapes we found hunting squirrels? Did you see some of those giant rubs that we saw today? Yeah. You see all <laughs> kinds of junk. We found, saw a couple of the bucks that made it, too. <laughs> found two turtle shells. Yep. Found two turtle shells. Found a drop antler. Found, I don't know how many buck scrapes. Right. I think we find all kinds of junk out in the woods. Tracks all over the place. What's your concluding thought? Take a kid squirrel hunting. First chance you get. Make a hunter out of him, or yeah. her, or her. That's correct. And we had a, we had a young lady with us today. Got her first swamp rabbit. Mm-hmm. Oh so, yeah! So, so that was that was congratulations she's to packing her. Packing a pistol in her coveralls. Uh, packing a pistol. I thought she shot the rabbit with that <laughs> pistol. <laughs> then really, she uh, shot it with a shotgun. Yeah, no. uh, you, you know, another tidbit today when we was hunting, we didn't get to see it, but the other guys did get to see it. Is that that a coyote packed in with a with a beagle hounds? We we still don't know for sure if if the coyote was was chasing the dogs. They they said he was barking on track, or if he was helping them chase the rabbit there. That's so, pretty so, interesting. So that would be another thing to very interesting thing to see when you're out in the woods. Yeah. Oh, speaking of western gray squirrels, you guys got your you guys got the California hunt to eat shirt coming out. Yes. How long until now? It's going to be after the holidays. I, I would check on the website January 1st. Scotty's out. Yep, we got Wisconsin. PA. Pennsylvania. Yeah, will also be out first of the year. The Scotty one's got what on it? It's the, uh, I don't want to say, it's not old. I think it's even, it, it might be actually the retro uh, state stamp the official state stamp that we converted into a hunt to eat t-shirt yeah california's got wild hog on it mm-hmm. 
Alaska's got doll sheep. Mm-hmm. PA's got a white-tailed deer. Man, you need to do Kentucky with a small game theme. Swamp rabbit and a squirrel. Well, I've got a small game themed uh, shirt that's not state affiliated in the works as well. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. My concluding thought would be I am so glad that when I was young we had that we could hunt squirrels right out of our house. Because it just learns you to like it teaches you how to go out in the woods and read sign. Yes. And you get a lot of shooting. And you just learn. One of your one of those old timers you had out there today, you guys were talking, you're saying like Go sit in the woods and the world will come to you. Right. That was that was one of the the old timers that did lots and lots of hunting. And that's one thing he told me. He said, you just get out there and sit in the woods and the world will come to you. Be patient. Another thing he said about the coyote falling in with that pack of beagles is he says, you know, you go out in the field long enough, it's amazing what you're going to see. It, it's not all about taking game. You know, there's sometimes out there you just see things that just amaze you. And we've all seen that. You and know, if all, all seen you that. get out of it is just another ding-dong sunrise, well, yeah, pretty good, another, too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Save a chicken, eat a squirrel. All right, anyone have any last thing to say? Enjoyed our hunting. Yes, sir. It was a pleasure, Kevin. Thanks for having us. All right, signing off. First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They're warm, breathable, silent, and odor-resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, All of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com.